You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ash Gartner. Today on Footprints, we welcome Susie Nikoloski. Susie has worked in the IT industry for 25 years, the last 10 of those as a senior executive at IBM. Susie has proven career success and experience doesn't have to be linear. She studied engineering at uni and has her own career coaching business. Her career in the IT sector has seen her move around Australia and overseas to Singapore, but now she calls Sydney home, where she lives with her two-year-old daughter, Roxy. She has a passion for exploring new ideas and she's a real creative at heart. She loves to paint and dabbles in DJing. Susie, thanks so much for joining me today. What a great intro. Thank you, Ash. Can you tell me a little about your journey? I do a lot of coaching for high school kids, you know, with the Smith family and also, you know, career coaching, people that want to transition. And a lot of people, I think when they hear that I did engineering, hated it, failed subjects at uni, had to repeat, you know, I did all sorts of work in my 20s until I settled into the IT industry. And then along the way, of course, you know, I had the great opportunities to work in large organisations that helped really develop my personal career style, I guess, as a leader as well. Was there a moment you realised engineering wasn't for you? Was there any fear or uncertainty that came with that? I can't even laugh about this. It was probably first year of uni. (laughs) (laughs) Not for anything else, but, you know, back in the day, and I'm 49, so they they didn't have such a thing of career coaching the challenge that I had was I didn't have the right mentorship and the right, Mm. I suppose, guidance, you know. And, you know, my father's family were military engineering men. And to tell him, I don't want to do engineering, (laughs) the heartbreak, it was just ridiculous. So it it was very, very difficult to try and transition that. And, you know, I did architectural drafting as well, thinking that could be the pathway of a career. And, And I just didn't feel it was right. You know, I did all sorts of work in my 20s until I settled into the IT industry. The appeal for me, of course, was it was so new and so exciting and, you know, there was so much going on. There was always a lot of change and, you know, I'm one that gets bored very easily and, you know, it's worked in my favour for those types of uh, people, you know, and there's a lot that don't like change. There's a lot that like to just keep status quo. But for me, I think that was probably one of the key things that I've really found um, exciting about it. And even now, like, you know, when when I don't even have the head capacity and the space to take on new technologies because it's moving so quickly, I'll still sort of go, okay, I'm not really interested in that topic. But I'll, I'll really, when I do love something, I'll, I'll deep dive into it. So I think for me, that's probably one of the key reasons, in honesty, that was um, probably the launch and the start of me saying, right, I've found my home, you know, and we're talking like by the time I was 28. So it's, you know, <laughs> by that time, most people have their careers, you know, and I was launching very late, let's put it that way. Mm. Yeah, but in doing so, you've really proven that it is okay to not know what you want to do at high school, at uni or later in life. Is that something that you've really felt empowered by? A hundred percent. So when I talk about change and I'm, I'm open to it, I thrive on it. I think that's probably one of the reasons why people are naturally drawn to me to help them transition, to help them with, you know, whether it's a business or it's on a personal level. The amount of times I've helped, say, a industrial designer that went into fashion that is now in banking, you know, there's always, there's a way to piece 
a common thread through the industries that you might be doing. And unfortunately, a lot of people have this mindset that when they're changing careers, they have to start from the bottom. And the reality with, you know, people that have got families that are married, that have got mortgages and debts up to, you know, the wazoo, I think it's not an option because reality sets in for a lot around, mm. well, have this commitment even starting up a new business you'd be surprised at the amount of people that have been sitting with a dream in their head to do something and they've just haven't been able to launch because they really feel their life their lifestyle and the lifestyle that they have for their family needs to take a step back and part of the coaching that I provide and and, you know leadership is around making sure that whether it's even my consultants and um, team members that are looking to shift and change and helping them coach them to do it that's a real key criteria in how I actually coach people to do it. So it is important and it's something that, you know, I strongly sort of, um, you know, get people in the mindset of saying, no, no, there's experience and strength you're bringing to a new industry or to a new role, even though there might be some things you need to upscale in. And I think that's probably what the factor is about helping change and, and, and the ones that successfully transfer into something new as well. Surely there's a lot of fear that comes with pursuing a new career. How do you weigh up the passion and the need to have an income? Geez, if I had all the money in the world, I'd probably just paint and DJ all day, right, you know, because I love music and, you know, at one stage in my life, you know, my part ex and I had decks in our lounge room. Yes, I love that. Yes, so we used to have the best, you know, home parties of five people, (gasps) you know, back in the day. But the reality is you need to know one thing that you're good at. It's one thing to be passionate about something. It's another to be good at. Like, so what if I want to go into space? But if I'm not mathematically smart enough to be an astronaut, then, you know, I'll just keep watching movies, thank you, you know. So... There's, there's that sense of reality for people. You know, you have to to really be a leader or to be known as, as a leader, not just in IT, please. This is just even in your personal life. There needs to be a level of uh, competence. There needs to be a level of um, you need to demonstrate the skill in what you're trying to do. Now, if know whether you're a musician whether it's an artist whether it's um you know a technical engineer designing software or a person that's designing a phone you know so i think that element is really really important and it's no point you know if you're going to start a business because you've got this idea of like you know a notion of of loving fashion and you're interested in it but maybe you know your design the way you design or even run a business is not good so the realities of those things have to really come into play at some point and you know the sooner you know yourself and your limitations and what you're willing to do and how much time you're willing to invest the faster you'll come to a real checkpoint in what's doable and what's um, possible for yourself in in a transition or in a career So it's a real balance of ambition and ability. Yes, yes. You know, I I always say never say no for an answer if you really believe in something, but you need the ability, yes, because even in a leadership position, you know, to be a leader, you need to have a team behind you that actually trusts you that actually believe in you, that you're actually turning up and saying what you're going to do and, and delivering on that. 
whether you're a CEO of a company, they don't stay long in a CEO position if they can't report, you know, uh, financial successes for the company, right? Um, and go, the same goes for a small business. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, yes, I own my own business, but if it's not profitable, you need to uh, ask yourself and assess yourself, well, what is it that, that I'm good at here and why is the business failing and where can you go from there? So I think that's going to happen for a lot of people and they don't like hearing it initially. Sometimes <laughs> I'm not their best friend, let me tell you, and it's, you know, I have to remind them why they came to me in the first place for some advice or coaching. But, uh, but it helps really shape a lot of the thinking for people once they are aware of it you know, and they're conscious about it as opposed to being unconscious and having just a naive passion of something, you know. So that's the other um, component that I think is really important to, to identifying yourself, you know. Now, the theme of this season is leadership through adversity. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced? So, look, early in my career, I think uh, I really believed that, you know, hard work, head down, bum up. I really thought that was going to show my management and my leaders, look how wonderful Susie is. Oh, my goodness, she's fantastic in sales and she brings teams together and all that. And the reality was that I was really blindsided. You know, I wasn't really looking at... Um, all the other elements that you need to, you know, really focus on in as being a leader and is being conscientious about what's going on around you, you know. And, you know, whilst I'm, I, you know, I was a minority a female, you know, not many women were in IT at the time, I used to just think, oh, those egos, oh, I just found them really, really, it could be toxic sometimes, you know. And it has changed over the years, but at the time, you know, I had no interest in being a leader, but it, I kind of did it in default because I always did business coaching and life coaching. Um, and that was back in Melbourne when I was living there. And, you know, it's something that I did informally, not formally, but I did have lots of problems. And I think sometimes my ego stood in the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so when you need to be a leader, you, you can't think of yourself first. Yes, maybe the ego needs to be a bit more invisible. Maybe that's probably the nicer way to say it. <laughs> if you, um, you know, people are always watching you. They're observing you and judging you and they're really going to judge you and make an assumption of you in how you actually handle critical situations, a challenge, the adversity that you're presented with. And I think most people in life, we're always suffering adversity. And, you know, we can all talk about our woes and all the things we have, and it's about how you're harnessing that. And I think a lot of the times a, a strong leader will actually put their ego behind, um, show trust in their teams and really strip emotion away. I've been fortunate to do personality assessment tests because, mm -hmm. you know, even in the theme of this, you need to know yourself. If you don't know yourself, you don't know the people around you, you're going to not have that conscientious mind to assess and be prudent that a leader needs to be, you know, in terms of understanding what impact, in my words, this decision, this conversation is going to have for myself and teams in the future. And if you don't think that way, like I had at the time, it really set me back and there was a lot of repair. And then sometimes it, I couldn't repair, you know, relationships, you know, pushed it too far. And so you could imagine I once got a personality very early. It would have been all of like, I don't know, 29, 30, and I got a personality test, highly emotional and everything. I was horrified. I was like, is that me? That's not the profile that I see myself as. And so 
one of the things I learned was that, yes, you've got a character personality and traits about you, but a lot of the things um, behavioural that, that actually can change. So me, you know, I, I mean, you know, my background's Macedonian. We grew up in a very highly raw emotional state, You whether it was showing an abundance of love or showing frustration, you know it and you felt it, you know, in our family. And part of my personal development was about how I could, uh, you know, control that and how I could actually make sure that uh, I knew that our first reaction is not what I should be pushing out because a lot of the times that's what got myself into trouble in the first place. And that's on my personal side of it. When you're in a leadership position though and you're suffering that adversity and you, you know you've got it maybe with an individual, you know, it's constantly challenging you, it's constantly grating at you, but you also know that there's people around you that are watching it it's really, really important how you really check yourself in on that. And I think, you know, how many times do you hear around, you know, the water cooler, oh, my God, did you hear Bob shoved, you know, Peter under the bus over that topic? I mean, that's such a classic, you know, conversation that you'd hear mm-hmm. when a meal happens. And I think a lot of the times it's like then that person, everybody's always on notice. They're not trusted anymore. They're always on guard and they're not going to really be the leader that maybe they want to be or they're definitely not going to have key people admiring and following them in that way. And, you know, over the years, of course, you know, you go and do leadership surveys again, personality ones, and I did one, oh, it was with IBM probably about six years ago and I loved it. It was about leading with strength. And I have always been an advocate of, you know, forget your weaknesses, you know, mm-hmm. questions when you get in an interview, so what are your weaknesses? I used to really get offended with that. Or well, I don't even ask it because why would you focus on something you're not good at? You know, if a child's not good at maths, you're not going to put them in a physics class in year 12, are you? You know, you're certainly not. No, <laughs> right. So it doesn't actually build confidence in a person either. It's the same in a corporate environment. If you can see in teams, you know, we've got, well, I work with lots of introverts, you know, the technical guys in IT, they could sit in a dark corner of broom closet and be very, very happy and content as long as they have strong speed connectivity and can do their job, right? Um, and, you know, and sometimes for them it's it's really different um ways that you actually can show them how you can lead and and show them what they need and and give them the support. But my style of leadership is very a coaching style. I mean, I've been coaching forever, but um, in a supportive way, you know, it's not about um, big boss here and come follow, but it's more about helping people and my teams make their own decisions and take ownership of it because then when they do take ownership, and I'm the same, I always tell my management, let me make this decision and let me then fall on my sword if I make the mistake. But then I make the decisions then knowing that I did it with 100% commitment behind it and you know that you're fighting a battle because you're passionately believing about it too. So that's, you know, that's some of the reasons why the success of leadership and how that adversity and how you actually challenge it is really important about knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. Now, I think workplace politics is something everyone struggles to navigate. What would be your advice to those facing similar challenges or even to yourself, if you could speak to yourself entering that workplace for the first time? (laughs) Geez, the first thing I'd say to my young self is shush it, shush. Don't say it, just shush. Whatever you're thinking, don't say it straight away. <laughs> Seriously, um, 
you know, what you see is what you get with me. That that characteristic of me is not going to change, you know. But honestly, if I had my time again, you know, I learnt a lot by observation and I think that's probably one of the key things. But part of it was I was fearful of some people, you know. They were not only much older than me, they were, you know, we were just very different people. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, I was, at some point I was wondering, going, well, what am I doing here, you know. I'd be wondering if I was in the right place. Well, we get imposter syndrome sometimes when we feel like we're out of our depth. Yeah, so I think a lot of the times, you know, that head down bummer was because I might not have felt I was in the right place, right. But I used to watch and observe a lot and if one thing, you know, make sure people are doing that, you know, in a work environment, who who are, you know, where are the alliances, you know, who are pally, who see eye to eye and, and we're not talking eye to eye about I love music and you love music. I'm talking about your views in way something should be run, in way things should be handled. You know, you've got you've got to find common ground with people. And, you know, there's times where I lost a lot of currency because of my outwardly spoken ways at the time. And it found I found it really hard to recover from that. And, you know, that's probably the lessons, very key lessons. Now over that, though, my hard work and being, you know, really um, studious and always knowing the latest and greatest of in my industry, my clients love that. I made plenty of money for the organisation. So I had a lot of support from that way because people could rely on Susie Solid. She's not going to be out there and crazy and, and, and rock the boat. And I think that helped it, but it didn't actually um, project my career in a faster path maybe that it could have. You know, if I sure. had the right coaching, and I certainly didn't, so so that's probably one of the things. But observe, observe a lot. It's a bit hard though. I haven't lived through COVID. I mean, we've worked from home environment in IT for decades. I'd say seriously, this first time yeah. do a VPN securely. You know, everyone was doing that. You know, working overseas, virtual teams around the world, that was quite natural in the IT industry. I think for COVID and a lot of industries like real estate. They've all had to learn how to adapt to it very differently because they just didn't have the mindset of being a diligent worker at home. So that's been an interesting thing to see as well. Absolutely. Now, have there been leaders through your career that have inspired you? So I have loved lots of leaders and I think the ones that I'm always drawn to that have an amazing kind of backstory, it could be... I remember, you know, um, what was her name? Gail Kelly, first CEO female in an Australian bank, like back, I mean, I was doing engineering industry. I wasn't even in banking at the time. And I was in such awe. This woman was a trained teacher from South Africa. You know, she grew through the ranks, still managed to have a a family. And I was living in Perth, I remember. And I said, come hell or high water, I'm going to get to this presentation. This woman never presented publicly at all. And um, heard her speak and I was wowed by her. And she was talking about not just her career but, you know, in terms of the time I think Westpac and um, St George merged, that was sort of the environment of the presentations and the coup I guess that was. But, um, you know, yes, she was a great leader and, you know, like I've always been interested in space and actually even the astronaut Chris Hadfield, jeepers. I mean, he's the guy, if you actually Googled singing astronaut, his name comes up, you know, he's done a YouTube with a guitar out in space. 
space station is fantastic. I had the yes. I don't know if you've heard that. You probably you know when it was hot back in. I can't remember. It was probably about five years ago now. But I saw him um, present live, and I was lucky. It was an IBM event. I had a photo with him, of course, because he's an opportunity. You know, but he's even you know. Yes, he was an engineer, and yes, he was a scientist. But what got him to do the you know become an astronaut was actually his firefighter. You know, he not a firefighting. He was a pilot fighting Air Force something or other in Canada. And that was actually how his career projected. So talk about transition careers, right? Mm-hmm. And he never thought one day he was going to be an astronaut. He studied and was an engineer for years and years and years, went into the Army, became a fighter pilot and was found out he was very good at it, so the skill aspect of it. And then he went and trained in, um, in the US for it. And I think, you know, stories like that, I mean, he, he had, you know, fantastic presentation and everything about rocket launches and all sorts of things that I get excited about. But um, it, that, those types of stories and the leaders that can, you know, really ch- show that true transformation and can get there is, is amazing, you know. And, and I've had managers and leaders, of course, that mentor me over the years. They're external to our own work. And, you know, they are always my sounding board. You know, there's always a couple of guys that I'll, you know, say, oh, you know, this has just happened or, you know, I've been given this opportunity, what do you think? And, you know, when I might not feel confident about my capabilities, they're the ones that actually remind me of what I could be doing or not, right? So they're not the ones that are discouraging, they're actually encouraging me and and making me think a certain way. So, you know, I think mentorship's a very important thing, which is why Mm -hmm. I try and do that because I lacked it in my life. I lacked it in my youth, you know. I lacked it in even my younger 20s, you know, and anybody that gets that opportunity and, you know, has somebody that wants to be their fairy godmother, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, we've touched on this a little already, but I want to dive deeper into what traits you think make a good leader. We've spoken about ego or lack thereof, but what are some of the other traits that make a person a great leader? Oh, look, I mean, we spoke about trust and I think it's very important. Um, if, If a leader isn't showing they're trusting the teams they're working with and giving them that space to allow them to make mistakes, for instance, you know, um, the amount of times I've had teams, consultants come up to me and their face is just stark white because something's happened and, you know, and I think the other thing as well is also is transparency. So when you're having to deliver bad news to a team, you know, and there's a lot happening, especially, you know, in the last few years as well, stripping away the fear in how you deliver bad news in tough situations and, and times that are like that, I think really separates the good leaders and, and just managers, right, and the bad ones because leading teams with fear is not sustainable, you know. I think I've, I've, it's not a saying but, you know, sting me once with a whip on my back and I'm going to feel it. I might even draw blood but, you know, whip me 50 times and the 51st one I'm not even going to feel the sting, you know, because you're constantly in that flight fearful mind and it's amazing how in that transparency of demonstrating this is where we've got trouble this is what we need to be doing I'm calling on you for ideas helping get through it you'll find you get buy-in from your teams and you are demonstrating 
compassion and interest and genuine concern about people. So employees don't feel that connected with big organisations and it's the leaders are the ones that actually provide that connectivity to a, to a team and to an individual. And I think, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the key things. So small egos, you know, your ego is what's going to stop people from believing that you might have their interest at heart. And if you don't, and you're constantly showing that you're concerned about yourself first and everyone else is um, afterwards, you're not going to have a real strong following of people behind you, you know. And those leaders that you find, they might, you know, move into senior roles and whatnot, but when they move divisional and up, if you see that they don't have a strong following, that they don't have teams that want to be with them, that haven't moved from one organisation, you can tell that they're not... They don't have that strong leadership skill or quality, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, we've spoken already about this notion of recognising other people's strengths and helping them harness those strengths. Just how crucial is that to making a good leader? Okay, so one thing is to be positive. Like I, I'm a highly positive person. I'll always look for positivity in somebody. You know, instead of providing feedback, you know, in that quarterly reviews, because a lot of people, even I find it quite judgmental, you know, someone's judging me on my work in that moment in time, right? I find feedback in the moment on highlighting someone that they've done a really good job actually is far greater in a personal's development than in anything else, whether it's me personally and I've got management telling me, wow, great job on that, whatever, or it's my client telling me I really thought the team handled this situation fantastically. Thank you so much. Now, in those moments, I mean, sometimes I've sent a thank you card to a consultant. Other times I'd say to my client, can you please pen that because that'll really go fantastically towards the end of year performance reviews or whatnot. It's really highlighting people's strengths and what they've done well and why and how they've impacted a person or a team or a project is really, really critical. And I found whether it's, you know, somebody that has is tasked to only do one small skill and it could be the technical side of a project or whether it's the project manager and how they've actually mitigated um, conflict between two people in a team, you know. It could be a vast array of things, but, you know, there's always going to be a moment where you can actually acknowledge someone about their skill you know, in something that they've actually done about um, being courageous. You know, when someone's been courageous, you know, it's amazing how much you can say, well, good for you. And these are the reasons why I think it's good for you, you know. And that to me is paramount, you know. So the leading with strength as an example. I know some my key strengths, right? So when I'm going into a negotiation with a client, or, you know, I mean, everything might be going well, but I might want to bring my strength of creativity and innovation to that table in that moment. And so what I want to do is bring that out when I'm in that meeting, right? And so when you are in a strength of, you know, you're a good analytical person or, you know, I mean, that was just me on creativity and around negotiation. So it's completely, you'd think, chalk and cheese but the other thing yeah so when you're presenting yourself in front of somebody and whether it's people you know and whether it's you're going into a hostile situation mm-hmm. whether it's not look for the strength that you know is within you because when you're leading with strength you know that you can confidently be speaking about 
how you might do something in that moment. And I'm a big believer of it. I really am. So that's, to me, very, very important. And sure, I don't do it all the time. Maybe more so when it is in conflict. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's like, oh, brace yourself. Okay, it's going to be a tough meeting. Whatever it might be. It could be with my boss. It could be with a, you know, challenging employee. It could be, you know, in a negotiation table, you know. So, it, yes, the preparation of that is very important, but I, I'm an advocate of leading with strength. And I've done a strength assessment. You know, you get a brilliant report. You can go to on a website and do this, by the way, um, with Gallup, I think they are. And it's, I found it really empowering. So when you talk, when I talk about coaching high school kids, mentoring them and even uni students, I mean, how often do you see, like I was, first year of uni, didn't like what I was doing, don't know what to do. You know, and I, I know even now, like there's some young kids that I'm coaching and I've said, you really need to know what you're good at. I, I'm not even sure you should be doing, and because it's computer science, I said, are you sure you want to be doing this? Because when I get passionate about something, I'll deep down and just want to be listening to, you know, reading articles and listening on the topic, you know, and you can see someone's passion on, on that. And I think sometimes the sooner you do, the easier all things will, you know, you, you'll even understand how people react to you and why because you've taken that time to um, make that assessment. That kind of insight is just so valuable. So what piece of advice would you give to others setting out on a similar journey to you? Okay, so I think for this one you really need to start thinking about leaders that, or the style and why you like a leader even if you don't know them and it's like the astronaut scenario that I've given you, right, um, or, you know, Gail Kelly, like I've never met her, I've only heard her present and know about her career. It could be your manager. There could be an outstanding CEO or manager that you just go, wow, they're so cool. Find out why you like them and then start emulating and behaving and demonstrating those behaviours. A lot of the times when I've said why do you like them, it's because that person has valued them in some way. Mm -hmm. In that moment, they've um, felt valued and they felt heard. And I think, you know, trying to harness and improve yourself that way and doing that goes a long way. Like, you know, from me, highly emotional to really curbing that down (laughs) in my career, right? So definitely make those observations. You know, I said it in this chat with you, when you're in the office environment, when you're, you know, whether it's virtual or not or in the team, start reading what's happening, you know, the dynamics of it and you'll really be surprised how much you actually know and what you can do. And that to me is important. Really start understanding what what type of leader you want to be. Because I certainly knew the leader that I didn't want to be based on how I felt and how I was treated. So that was, that's probably the main takeaway from there. Mm. Susie, thank you so much for joining me. It's been amazing speaking with you and getting your insight. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. And I look forward to um, hearing more of the podcast as well, the series. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.